0: Now, we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time.
1: 2% of demand versus 1% of demand is, is a pretty big shift. Energy companies have changed a lot. You know They're generating significant free cash flow. They're buying back their equity. They're offering attractive dividends.
0: Stacy, great having you back on the podcast.
1: It's great to be with you, Nate. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So typically when you're on the podcast, I feel like we take more of a uh, macro look at the energy sector in in general. Sometimes we dig a little bit deeper, but usually we don't uh, drill too deeply into individual ETFs. Um, However, that is going to change this week because since we last spoke, there are two new ETFs on the market that are powered by uh, indices under the Vetify umbrella. And so the first ETF is the Texas Capital Texas Oil Index ETF, ticker symbol OILT. This just launched towards the end of November. This tracks the Allerian Texas Weighted Oil and Gas Index. Now, I've got to tell you, I have a number of questions on this. But uh, for listeners, why don't we start by having you explain this index? Like, Like how exactly is this constructed?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, the index is our Alarian Texas-weighted oil and gas index. And to be eligible for the index, you have to produce oil or gas in Texas. Um, and then the index is weighted based on the economic value of each company's oil and gas production in Texas. Uh, and then there's a 10% cap for individual constituents. So currently the index has 31 names in it. Uh, I reconstitutes annually in March, and then it's rebalanced quarterly. Um, so the main thing is, you know, it's really an index of companies that produce oil and gas in Texas.
0: Yeah, okay, so if if an investor is looking at this, how, how would this index and the ETF compare to something like, say, XLE, the Energy Select Sector Spider ETF, or uh, XOP, the Spider S&P Oil and Gas Exploration and Production ETF? What, what are some of the key differences here?
1: Yeah, so at a high level, um, the underlying index here is more similar to XOP than XLE, but there's some nuances to that. So if you think about XLE, it's really the energy companies in the S&P 500. So it's a smattering of your large energy companies across subsectors. You have majors like Chevron and Exxon, you have refiners, midstream corporations, oil field service names. Um, The XLE's index is weighted based on modified market cap, so... Um, it really ends up being dominated by Exxon and Chevron, even though it has you know, 23 constituents. So I'm sure I probably mention this every time we talk, but XLE is about 40% Exxon and Chevron. So relative to you know, XLE or its underlying index, the index for um, OILT is going to give you pure exposure to oil and gas producers and less concentrated exposure to the majors, so For the underlying index here, Exxon and Chevron combined are less than 12% of the index by weighting. Um, So uh, less concentrated, more focused on producers, um, and and in that, you know, you have generally kind of more exposure to what's happening with oil and gas prices. Now, if you look at XOP, you know, it's, you know, build is being focused on oil and gas exploration and production companies. Um, Its index is equal weighted. It has 54 constituents, but the index includes companies that are not oil and gas producers or that are not focused on exploration production. I mean, if you look at the top five holdings right now, four of them are independent refiners. Um, There's some clean fuel companies in the underlying index for XOP. So, you know, XOP is, is focused on producers, but you also have a bunch of companies in there that are not oil and gas producers. So, Relative to XOP, oil P would give you your pure exposure to companies that are producers. There's no refiners in the index, um, and so it, it's again kind of giving you pure exposure to the producers, and therefore better exposure to what's happening with oil and gas prices. Well,
0: let, let me ask you this: um, If we put some of those differences aside, what are some of the advantages of investing strictly in Texas oil and natural gas? Producers. And I, I guess I would say, along with that, is there any downside to limiting the index and, and investment uh, universe and OILT, OILT to, to only companies within Texas? Or is that where most of the best oil and in, in, in production uh, or exploration and production companies are headquartered anyway?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely an element of. You know, most large producers have some kind of footprint in Texas, and, and for good reason, and we can talk about that. Um, so just to be clear, you have to be an oil or gas producer in Texas to be in the index, but a lot of these companies are producing you know, oil and gas in the U.S. and other parts of the world. But I think Texas is a good gating factor. Um, because it has a lot of desirable qualities from a production standpoint. You know, there's really solid geology in Texas. There's significant proved reserves. Um, You have about five shale plays that touch portions of Texas. There's a pretty friendly regulatory environment, Um, plenty of infrastructure kind of above the ground to get hydrocarbons where they need to be. Um, You've got good connectivity into both kind of domestic demand and also international markets. So there's a lot to like about Texas production in general, and we see that with M&A transactions that we've seen in the energy space. You know, Producers are really focused on securing low-cost, short-cycle drilling inventory. And so if you look at M&A deals in the energy space recently, a lot of those have been focused on essentially giving people more exposure to that low-cost, short-cycle drilling inventory in Texas. So the kind of big example is Exxon buying Pioneer, You've also had Occidental buying a private company called Crown Rock. Um, Apache recently announcing that it's acquiring Cal and Petroleum. Um, So these M&A transactions that we've seen recently kind of reinforce the desirability of that Texas production and kind of what makes it special, if you will.
0: Yeah, I saw in a uh, recent piece you wrote where I, I think you made the comparison to just real estate in general, where you said it's location, location, location. And that holds true here. Uh, you know, when you look at Texas as a market to extract and produce uh, oil, and I think you hit on some of those key items that, that do make it desirable in terms of the geology and, and the drilling inventory, the infrastructure, you know, the regulatory in, environment. I know you mentioned the proximity to end markets. Uh, it's interesting because as we talk about every time you're on, I'm no energy sector uh, expert. And so I love digging into stuff like this because it is eye-opening just to better understand the markets. So I guess, I guess on that point, you know, as I was looking at the fact sheet, for uh, OILT. One of sort of the selling points is that this index uh, underlying the ETF offers exposure to production of West Texas Intermediate. And uh, again, for us energy sector uh, novices out there, what, what is the difference between West Texas Intermediate and then other types of crude oil? I would say just at a high level. We don't need to get into the weeds here. I, well, I just feel yeah. like, um, I see people throwing around that WTI acronym. And my senses, most people probably can't explain the difference between, you know, that and other uh, grades of crude. So, so what is the difference?
1: Yeah, well, you know, broadly, there's probably over 100 types of crude oil in the world, and I think people don't realize that at all because all they may hear about is WTI, to your point, or or maybe Brent, Um, but WTI is priced at Cushing, Oklahoma. Um, It's what you'll see quoted for U.S. oil prices, and WTI is good quality. It's what we call light, sweet crude, Um, and what that means in English is that it's lower density and it doesn't have a lot of sulfur. So what that means is that it's relatively easy to refine into things like, to gasoline, diesel, um, and broadly, WTI is fairly similar to Brent. You know, people hear about Brent because it tends to be kind of the, the global or the European um, light sweet benchmark. So, just to be clear and, and maybe not confuse people, but um, you know, not all the crude produced in Texas is WTI, and you can also have WTI that wasn't produced in West Texas. So, there's some weird nuances there. But think of WTI as really like the light sweet benchmark. Um, and as long as the crude meets that quality spec and it's in the right place, then it's you know, considered to be WTI.
0: Um, I, I want to talk about that other alarian index here in a moment, but I guess while we're on this topic of, of oil, I know last time you and I talked, that was in November, uh, you gave a quick preview of oil in 2024. And I would say, Stacey, your view was... Um, maybe maybe a bit lackluster or even downtrodden. I think you felt like there was a floor on oil prices, but maybe not a tremendous amount of upside. I'm just curious, is that still your overall sentiment here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think OPEC Plus is still going to defend a floor, um, but you've also got supply coming on from not OPEC producers, and that probably keeps a lid on prices, um, even with acknowledging that there's a lot of geopolitical risk right now in the world. Um, But you have so much production that's kind of on the sideline because of these cuts um, that that means there's essentially more spare capacity just kind of sitting there. And I think that also kind of creates an overhang um, in terms of the upside to prices. But if you look so far this year through January 29th, WTI is up over 7%, about $77 per barrel this morning after being down about 11% last year. So we've seen some strength lately. Um, and you know, I could definitely be wrong, um, but I think most people are generally kind of of a view that oil is probably going to be pretty range-bound this year um, and are expecting prices to kind of average between you know, 70 to $80 per barrel. And I think generally, given what we know today um, and what looks to be a pretty comfortably supplied oil market, I think that's tough to argue with. Now, there could be upside from some kind of geopolitical risk that maybe we don't know about or a situation that we already have gets worse. But generally speaking, I think most people just expect oil to kind of continue meandering in this range that it's been.
0: To your point on the geopolitical um, situation, again, I I think the average uh, investor or energy sector novice, such as myself, might look at everything going on in the Middle East and think perhaps – that could uh, create some upside pressure on oil prices. But does it come back to that supply side? I mean, is that just very high level? Is that what the issue is in terms of oil prices, just the, the too much supply?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen so far is that there hasn't been a, a huge inter- interruption in kind of global oil flows to this point. And so that's kind of one issue why the Middle East issues haven't been a bigger deal, um, and then you've also got, yeah, non-OPEC supply coming on in places like Guyana, Canada, the U.S. that are not kind of in that mix, are not going to be impacted by what's going on in, in the Middle East. So I think it's that combination. And, and, yeah, to your point, just there should be enough supply elsewhere, um, you know, barring something really escalating uh, in the Middle East.
0: Supply, particularly in Texas, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, you did a great job earlier of highlighting how that, that index underlying OILT might offer some benefits relative to competing I- indices. But to to what you were just saying, let, let's say oil does not do much this year. I have to assume that's not a great thing for energy stocks overall, right? Like if oil prices don't rise, won't that be a, a headwind for, uh, for, for all energy stocks, regardless of where uh, the company is headquartered?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think um, what's frustrating about the energy space is that companies are doing all the right things. They're generating free cash flow. They're buying back their equity. They're paying dividends. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, oil still tends to be kind of in the driver's seat for equities. And I think oil tends to be kind of what determines whether generalist investors – and kind of a broader audience are, are interested in the space. So, to the extent that we see kind of weakness in oil, I think it's tougher for energy stocks broadly to do well, and it becomes more of a stock picker's backdrop, um, where you have some winners and you have some losers. Now that said, you know, an index like the one underlying Oil T could benefit from M and A activity if constituents are targets, and you know they're getting a premium and um, being acquired. So that's kind of another element that could be a, a potential positive catalyst, despite what may be going on with oil prices. Um, but if, in general, you know, if people are more optimistic on the commodity, um, either near-term or long-term, then an ETF like OILT is going to give you um, kind of a better way to play that commodity. <coughs> I,
0: I know in the past, mm-hmm. um, Stacey, we've talked about how, let, let's say there is continued weakness in oil and just energy stocks overall. You've continued to point to the the midstream companies, the MLPs um, in in the energy space. And on that note, the other product that just launched that's powered by uh, an Allerian Index is the Allerian MLP Index ETN, ticker symbol AMJB. Do you want to uh, briefly comment on that? And I'd love to have you maybe just expand a little bit about or on how MLPs might be able to uh, perform better than the broader energy sector if, let's say, again, oil prices are muted.
1: Yeah. So the underlying index for AMJB is our Illyrian MLP index, ticker ANC. Um, it's really the leading benchmark for MLPs, and it was the first real-time MLP index, Um this index has been around since 2006, um, and it's you know, focused on energy infrastructure, MLPs. It's weighted by float-adjusted market cap uh, with a 10% cap for individual names. And you know, what we've seen in the MLP space you know, over the last several years is, is really solid performance. I mean, the AMZ has outperformed the S&P 500 um, for the last three straight years. Um, so last year, you know, oil was down about 11%. Um, the underlying index... Well, AMJB was up about 26%. So this is a space that tends to be less correlated to what's happening with the commodity um, because companies are providing services for a fee, and they tend to be more defensive. Um, we've also seen some tailwinds for this space from M&A activity. Um, so for investors who are looking for income or you know, who maybe are just a little more cautious on what's happening with the commodity price environment, uh, the midstream MLP space is, is certainly a, a good place to look. Um, and what's nice is that you have options there in terms of how you access the space. So um, for an investor who's um, you're looking for an ETF vehicle, there's the Allerian MLP ETF, which we provide the index for. It's the largest, most liquid MLP-focused t- MLP ETF. But then you also have you know, AMJB in the exchange-traded note wrapper, um, and that tends to be more geared for investors who are investing in a tax-efficient account. Um, otherwise, as an ETN, your coupon is going to be taxed at an ordinary income rate. So generally, you want to own something like an ETN in a tax-advantaged account. But without getting into too much detail, um, you know, we definitely like the midstream and MLP space in this kind of backdrop where you don't necessarily have a lot of catalysts from a commodity price standpoint. Um, and, you know, we continue to see the space. Benefiting from kind of the tailwinds of free cash flow that we've seen for the last, you know, three or four years So um, you feel really good about the midstream space in this type of environment
0: Well, Stacy, I am going to keep saying this uh, every time you're on the podcast Nobody covers the energy sector better than you do, period I always love our conversations, I, I think especially because I always learn something new uh, Really enjoy this, thank you for joining me this week
1: No, thank you so much for having me, Nate, and thanks for bearing with me with this uh, cold I have.
0: Great conversation. That was Stacy Morris, head of energy research at Vetify.